WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. For the better part of five decades, the name David DiChiara was synonymous with the Michigan Opera Theater. It was his artistic vision that created and sustained MOT's identity until he retired in 2017 and then died two years ago. Since then, it has been a really open question about what direction the company would take and who would lead it artistically into a new era. Now we have some answers to those questions. MOT announced yesterday that Yuval Sharon has come on board as its new artistic director. Sharon is known as a visionary and a risk taker in the opera world. He won a MacArthur Genius Grant as founder and artistic director of The Industry, which is a Los Angeles-based experimental opera company known for staging new and avant-garde productions that immerse the audience inside its performances. This is a really bold move for MOT. Mark Stryker wrote in the Free Press, quote, Sharon's presence elevates MOT immediately to international relevance in the opera world and brings to Detroit the kind of innovative artistic leader unique among the city's cultural institutions. Yuval Sharon joins me now to talk about his new job at MOT and his vision for the company moving forward. Yuval Sharon, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Yes. So uh, I, I was reading a lot about your background in, in the press coverage of you uh, accepting this job. And over <laughs> and over, I just kept coming back to the same phrase, right man for the right time. Oh, if thank you, th- you. If you think about <laughs> what, so much. what is going on in the world and the call oh. for institutions like MOT to have to adapt uh, mm-hmm. the, the work that you've you've been doing is is perfect uh, for for what lies ahead of us. Well, thank you so much. That is, that means a lot to hear from you. And uh, I I think it's kind of strange thinking about this time as the right time for anything, really, because <laughs> right? of how turbulent <laughs> it's been, and um, you know how much we're sensing so much shifting of values. And um, I mean, this is uh, it is an enormous change on our on our landscapes, but. I do think it's the right time in the sense that it is a time to truly embrace the opportunity for change. I think this is a moment where uh, the window for transformation is really open. And I am so impressed by the leadership of MOT, uh, both the, the president and CEO, Wayne Brown, the board leader, uh, yeah, Ethan Davidson, and of course, the person who introduced me to MOT in so many ways, the uh, Gary Wasserman, who's a friend of mine. Uh, and um, who uh, is, I am the Gary Wasserman Artistic Director for MOT, which shows uh, how involved he is in this selection. <laughs> um, with all of them and, and, uh, and everyone that I've met on the board, they all know that uh, it does not repudiate David DiChiara's vision for mm. what an opera company could be for Detroit in any way to bring someone like me in. And, and actually, in many ways, I do feel like David and I, even though I never got the chance to meet him, I feel like we are cut from the same cloth in so many ways. I think we were both kind of entrepreneurs, you know, <laughs> in thinking about opera uh, as founders of organizations. And I know from what I've heard about David and what I hear about David constantly is how important the communities that make up Detroit were to him in selecting repertoire, in finding great singers, uh, in thinking about what opera could mean to the city. And that's a mission that I very much intend to 
stay connected to and also renew with all of the new pressures <laughs> involved uh, in thinking about how opera remains uh, resonant mm. with uh, with today. Yeah. So so let's first talk about the the sort of practical end of that <laughs> given given that we just we, we can't gather the way that that we used to and and mm -hmm. that is one of the sort of driving forces behind the whole idea of opera in the short term what what kinds of things do you think uh, an institution like MOT is going to have to <clears throat> to think about and actually do to keep things going yeah it's a it's a great question and in many ways that's the question that led to this appointment um Gary and Wayne and I had a conversation back in April trying to conceive of projects that could be um, uh, safe for the audience uh, to experience, mm -hmm. sort of a socially distant kind of opera, which sounds a little crazy because we definitely think of opera as you know mass gatherings you know, <laughs> on a large scale. But the projects I've been doing in Los Angeles has been for more intimate audiences and uh, I think more importantly, have really asked audiences to uh, to go out on a limb and ex and experience opera in a brand new way, whether in moving vehicles or inside a park, moving through a park and seeing an opera happen all around you. Um, those are things that I've been very excited to explore uh, for, for a number of different reasons. But I think that's the kind of thing that that Wayne and Gary uh, were encouraging me to think about, and it didn't take long for me to realize that. Uh, that MOT not only has the asset of a very beautiful theater, which of course it cannot use right now because of uh, because of the restrictions mm -hmm. around COVID, but they also have a uh, really wonderful parking center, uh, a seven-story parking center that yes. um, that uh, is is open to the air and so allows for something that is contained a little bit, but is uh, more or less outdoors. Um, and I started to think, wouldn't it be great in this period uh, to to use that parking center as a performance space? I think there's a lot philosophically that happens as soon as we shift the center of what we do uh, in terms of operas that we present outside of the opera house and into something that might seem so everyday. Maybe on the surface, it might even seem somewhat banal to think about these are spaces that we're so used to going to that that don't seem to have uh, a lot of resonance or, or, or possibility. But I think that one of the things that I love about opera is that it can remind us that within our everyday lives, there is constant potential. And, uh, you know, our everyday lives are the source for that potential to truly, to truly grow. And I think art awakens us to that notion. So as soon as you do opera in a place like a parking center, uh, all of a sudden, we don't just think about opera uh, behind a uh, velvet rope, you know, <laughs> suddenly <laughs> opera is really at the heart of our everyday experience. And that gives it a chance to have a whole nother resonance. Mm. So yeah, to, a long way to answer your question. Uh, we are going to be doing an opera in that parking center uh, wow. this coming October. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. really that's really <laughs> something. Uh, and, and so then talk about how the necessity of that kind of innovation sort of intersects with the innovation that you have been bringing to opera for a long time. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the, the company that, that you're, so you were associated with uh, in Los Angeles was known for, for doing things differently and, mm -hmm. and saying mm -hmm. opera doesn't have to be uh, what, what we all think it is. Mm -hmm. how, how do those two visions kind of come together? <laughs> I actually think that's a, 
um, I think you articulated that so well because I actually think those are uh, two sides of the same coin. Hmm. It's actually always an, an embrace of the conditions, including the restrictions, um, that lead to real innovations. And I think that actually Detroit uh, is a model for that. I mean, you know, the more I get to know the city and, and the people of the city, um, it's so clear that it's, 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 it's people who have learned through, you know, the great times and difficult times to uh, learn how to take advantage of the challenges um, that at any given moment in time really offers you. And that's certainly the kind of period that we're entering into now or that we certainly are in. We're going to have to figure out how to make sure that the restrictions that we face that are for everybody's health and safety don't uh, don't act as a barrier towards creativity, but can actually uh, encourage creativity to thrive in a different way. And I think that's something that, that I wanted to do right away with this parking center project, mm. is to think that art can always find a way. And actually, in times where things can sometimes feel really hopeless, that art is something that does provide that sense of hope because it, it offers a community with an image of something that might seem impossible, you know, <laughs> something that might seem totally unlikely and might seem like, uh, you know, how on earth are they going to pull something like this off? You know, that's the kind of stuff that, um, that certainly uh, I've been doing in Los Angeles, these kind of really audacious um, experiments. And uh, a part of the effect of that is to suddenly be uh, is to suddenly awake up a, 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 a whole sense of, of, of possibility mm. where you didn't think possibility existed. And that that, I think, is a kind of inspiration for right now that that, that feels so necessary and that I actually think is really central to what opera is all about. Mm. Um, so even if it seems somewhat far afield, I actually think the very first artist that made opera, that's what they were after. You know, they were after something that felt like it was, you know, larger than life, but not in a way that uh, diminished real life. It actually uh, expanded your idea of what is actually possible in the yeah, world. Yeah. Uh, right down to the human voice, you know, thinking about what the human voice can do. Uh, and hearing beautiful singing, you know, um, you know what that does to make you feel like that singer, uh, that human voice, the human voice is capable of more uh, than than we're used to when we just sure. use it for speaking. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, um, one of the things that I think you'll have to contend with in, in some ways is mm -hmm. the expectations of the opera audience here in Southeast mm -hmm. Michigan. Mm -hmm. And and as someone who's, you know, a, a pretty big fan of opera, I find myself sometimes saying, well, what's wrong with Mozart? What's wrong with Verdi? What's wrong with Wagner? Mm -hmm. um, why can't we just keep doing the same things over and over again? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I mean, there is that sell I think you have to make to, to the opera audience that we can think of this differently. Yeah. And I, uh, I want to say first and foremost that I, I came to these experiments in opera because I love Mozart and because I love Wagner. And um, those are composers who, um, who I think have, have created a brand new way of thinking about the world, uh, new ways to listen to the world. And um, I absolutely uh, plan um, to continue to, uh, to present those works. Mm -hmm. I would just love those works to really have an opportunity to speak to today. And I think that's actually what is still so relevant about opera. You know, we, the music for opera is uh, eternal, you know, and it is, a, it is in many ways a set 
thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Laboem will always be Laboem, you know. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> magic Flute will always be Magic Flute. And the music that's performed will stay that way, but the visual aspect, and kind of beyond the visual aspect, it's also the kind of philosophical and, uh, underpinnings behind the production. Those are in flux, you know. Um, we don't tend to think about things that way. We tend to think that Magic Flute always looks like this. You know, we always <laughs> see Papageno with his feathers, and we mm-hmm. always see the Queen of the Night on a disc with, uh, surrounded by stars. You know, um, that is something that I think actually um, has held these works back um, because mm. they've kind of kept these works in a kind of an amber, you know, like they're they're like they're kind of trapped in time. But I don't think any of these composers imagined their works that way. If they did, you know, um, certainly now filmmaker, they would be filmmakers now. You know, they would say this is a, a finished entity. But operas are, uh, they have a window open to contemporary, to our contemporary time. Hmm. And that's something that I, I would love to, uh, I'd love to give these composers, Mozart, Cretini, Verdi, um, all of these classic composers, a dialogue partner with us. Hmm. living today in the city. And I think that's a way, it's, it's not just a way to, um, to try and point at its relevance, at opera, opera's relevance or these works' relevance, but instead to actually and truly let them speak to today. And I know that they can. Yeah, yeah. Well, and if you think of 2020, I mean, is there a more <laughs> operatic uh, setting for, for yeah, opera I know. than I this know. year, right? It's yeah, I know. Been, uh, yeah, everything I, know. I love I mean, I, about I, opera, I feel like, is is being sort of put on display in in a horrible, uh, in a horrible I know. way. I I know what you mean, and yet I have to say that there are there are ways in which operas can sometimes actually seem like they are taking us backwards. You know, I you know if we perform Madame Butterfly, for example, which is an opera that I think has a lot to, it has so much humanity in it. You know, it can really show us humanity in a in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. But if we present it the way it's so often presented, which is actually with a lot of racist stereotyping mm-hmm, in it, mm-hmm. you know, um, if, we, if we just show that and we don't question that mode of representation, then we're actually doing a huge disservice both to Puccini, <laughs> that work, and to our audience. You know, we're perpetuating ideas that we need to overcome. So I don't think the answer is strike these pieces from the repertoire. I think it's actually the opposite. Yeah. Let's give these chances, let's give these operas a chance, you know, to really investigate what it means to represent the other. You know, in this yeah. case, it's in this opera, it's, it's, it's Japan from the point of view of, 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 of Europe, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, so how do, we, how do we represent that in a way that is not uh, appropriation, that is not uh, crude, you know, yeah. and is not racist? And I don't think early productions of this opera intended that to be the case, but, you know, culture is in flux and culture changes and things that might have been acceptable even five years ago are no longer acceptable today. And opera has that opportunity really to, uh, to go along with those changes because how we represent these pieces can morph with time. And that actually, it seems paradoxical, but that is actually the way to get to its eternal truth. Yeah. Yeah. I want to take a quick call here before we have to to end the show. Cindy and, Ferndale, what's on your mind? 
Um, well, I just wanted to ask about um, making the opera more accessible to those of <laughs> us who maybe have already been always been interested, mm-hmm. like I haven't, mm-hmm. but rather intimidated by it. And like you guys are having this conversation, it sounds like an insider's conversation, you know, <laughs> chuckling about magic flute, you know, and I'm sitting here going, yeah, magic, You're like, what? I haven't seen that. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, Cindy, um, yeah, it, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but we're going to run out of time, and I want to make sure that I get uh, Yuval Sharon to, yeah. to answer. Where thank where does someone like Cindy start, I think, is, is maybe you, the question. Thank you. thank you so much, Cindy. I have to say I really sympathize with your point of view, because when I first started going to opera, I found it very strange. I didn't I didn't connect with opera right away. It really just took my, it took my dad taking me uh, continuously over and over again to really start <laughs> to, to understand what makes it so special. I, I would just say that I want this company to be for everybody, for first timers, for people who are curious about opera, or maybe even more importantly, I'd love it for people who think opera is not for them. Mm. I'd love to create the kind of projects that make people say, I want to see that. That sounds great. And then for them to realize that opera has so much uh, to offer them, and uh, that is certainly my mission coming into this coming yeah. into this job. Yeah, you know, for me, it was always the music as a kid, uh, mm-hmm. and literally even in Bugs Bunny cartoons uh, <laughs> it was maybe one of my first exposures to to the music of of opera. But that was what always sort of drew me in, and and my favorite uh, opera, Tannhauser, is, mm. is a wonderful. <laughs> wow. Wonderful way to get into opera with the, with the music because it's just so so beautiful and so sweeping and big and uh, I mean there's there's so many dimensions uh, to it. Okay, uh, I want to mention yeah. again uh, before we have to end Twilight Gods production of Richard Wagner's Twilight of the Gods, which is going to be staged in the Detroit Opera House Parking Center from October seventeenth through October 20th. Very cool event. Uh, Yuval Sharon, thank you very much for being with us and welcome to Detroit. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Remember to make sure that you become a member of WDET if you are not during our fall fundraiser. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. I'm going to talk with the two major party candidates for Michigan's 8th Congressional District, Democratic incumbent Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin and the challenger, Paul Young. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.